Poštovani. I thought he was with you. No. Jack. Tommy? Let's quickly pray before we get into our Bible reading today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have brought us here to understand your deep love for us. So I just ask us all to take a moment to pray that God purposely brought the people you are sitting with here to be around you today. I'm going to give you a few seconds to pray for them in their time. Lord, thank you for letting me have this opportunity. Thank you that Matthew gets the opportunity to remind us that the gospel is bigger than these four walls. And we thank you so much for Pastor Steve's return and the many blessings he gives us. In your name we pray. Welcome to Grace, everyone. For those of you who might be new here, I'm Andrew, and I'm the Director of Student Ministries. And just to remind my youth how old I am, I shared with you guys an old commercial. Shirley family, you can ask your dad what a commercial is later. (laughs) This commercial is 12 years old. And not only do I still remember it, but I won't lie, I still just have an emotional, strikes an emotional chord in me whenever I watch it. And I hope what you'll see is as we look at Jesus, in that same way the piano player encouraged that child, Jesus encourages the lowly. In that video, we saw this child, and he stumbled into a grand piano of a great pianist. And I bet you we all resonated with one of those people in the audience. Maybe the person who felt shocked. Maybe irritation. Maybe you felt for the parents and you were really embarrassed. And when that father or that piano player came in, I bet you we all knew what was going to happen. He was going to get angry. We were ready for him to scold that child, at least mock him. But instead, he saw something special in that child. He saw an opportunity to encourage what everyone else thought was lowly and unimportant. And that is the God that we worship today. So as we go into Mark chapter 10, let us be reminded that Jesus has started attracting some followers. We heard about some Pharisees who kind of came to trip him up, to question him. We have disciples who are trying to learn from his vast knowledge. And now we have these families just hoping 
that a little touch from Jesus would bless their precious children. Verse 13 says, And some of the people Jesus was speaking to were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, let's try to think a little bit what was going on in the disciples' mind. I mean, Jesus just had kind of a mic drop moment, right? The Pharisees questioned him, and Jesus answered them perfectly. And then he started digging deeper on very difficult biblical passages. And the disciples were like, look, this is adult time. We have God in front of us, and we need to take advantage of all of his wisdom. But ironically... It wasn't the disciples, or it wasn't the children that were missing the greatness of having God in their presence. It was the disciples who were blinded. We see in verse 14 that when Jesus saw the disciples rebuking the children, he was indignant and said to them, Let these children come to me. You not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Speaking of blindness, Can we take a moment to kind of laugh at the disciples? They're really messed up. Jesus, just a little while ago, told them that children were precious, and it would be better for you to drown in a river than get in between a child and their faith. And what are the disciples doing but getting in the way of children and their blessing for Jesus? Jesus has to once again remind them the value of children, and this time he takes it a step further. Because he not only says that children are important, he says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you actually have to be like them. In verse 15 through 16, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And this is kind of the core of all this passage. This is where all the application comes in. What does it mean to enter the kingdom of God like a child? And in order to flesh that out, I want us to kind of think about three things. First, I want to go through what I call Bible 101. Then we're going to talk about some pride versus humility. And then we're going to separate innocence from vulnerability. So let me start with a little Bible 101. When I say Bible 101, I'm not trying to be arrogant sounding. What I do sometimes in youth group, just so you guys can see a little bit what I do, is I like to give some tidbits, some strategies to the young people of how they can read the Bible better on their own. And when I go on these tangents, I tend to call them Bible 101. And so as I was going through this passage, I remember two Bible principles that really came in handy. Use scripture to interpret scripture, and remember context is key. Now, as I mentioned, the key of this passage is understanding, well, what does it mean when Jesus says we have to be like a child? Now, our first gut instinct is to use our own experience, our own word associations to fill in the blank. What does Jesus mean when he says we have to be like a child? We have to remember, I'm a youth minister, and I've been working with children for a long time. And the first thing I think of when I think of children 
is bluntness and honesty. Have you guys ever had your heart skip a beat when a little child goes up to lady and says, oh, when is your baby coming? And you know they're not pregnant. Or have you ever been on a special occasion? Maybe it was a wedding or funeral or baptism. And that little angel of a child says, this is boring. I want to go home. I don't think Jesus is trying to tell us that we shouldn't be thoughtful when we speak. We don't enter the kingdom of God by being blunt and honest. Sometimes, I think, instead of using our modern understanding, the best way when we don't know exactly what Jesus is saying is we try to find other passages of Scripture to better understand the passage in question. So in this passage, to talk about children, I digged into some passages where Jesus talked about children. And in Matthew, I found out that Jesus talks about this story just from a slightly different perspective. In Matthew 18, 1 through 4, And at the time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There it is, you guys. Matthew helps spell it out for us. Jesus wants us to be like children in humility. And this is also important, because it should also help us remember that context is important. Because if you've been following our series on Mark for a while now, this passage should seem really familiar. Mark also talks about the disciples arguing over who is the greatest. And Jesus uses a child to remind them that even the least of these are considered great in the kingdom of God. So you know what this means? Disciples had to hear this message twice. When we read it in the context of the story, we realize that even the disciples need to be told some lessons more than once And that gives me some good comfort. These disciples, once again, were letting that ugly face of pride come out of them. And Jesus saw it, and he was disappointed. And so, Jesus reminds them that the kingdom is even for those who are considered the least of these. And some of you might get angry. Some of you might look at the disciples and think to yourself, like, Do you not get it? You guys were called by Jesus because you were lowly fishermen. The whole purpose of God picking you guys were because you are no better than these children. But then I thought of something too. As upset as I was at them, I'm reminded I enter the kingdom of God like a humble child. So what does that say about the things I think make me special? What does that say about the things that I use to brag about my own self-worth compared to others? And this brings us to our first point. We are called to humility instead of pride. There's some passages of scripture that really cause me to pause. Those ones that really hit deep at my sin and brokenness. And Matthew eleven twenty five is one of those. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus, time and time again, calls out the arrogant and the haughty. He tells those that think they are better than others that God could care less about those things. And both the disciples and the Pharisees miss God's greatness because of their pride. And I think if we're honest, we can all do that. I know I have. Because I know when I started as a Christian, I had barely any Christian education whatsoever. When I was in high school, no joke, I was watching VeggieTale stories as my Old, edu- or Old Testament education. At that point, I thought to myself, look, if God could have me enter God's kingdom, God could let anybody in to God's kingdom. But then I started reading the Bible seriously. Then I went and got a Christian education, learned systematic theology. I started reading some of the greatest Christian thinkers of history. And something began to crept inside of me. Slowly, it wasn't about the good news of the gospel. It was about all the things I knew about God. It was about my knowledge. I began to think, that growing in the Lord was not growing in love of who Jesus is, but was about growing in doctrine. And then, I don't know if you ever do this, but some of those issues I used to think were like secondary issues, they started becoming salvific issues. I started questioning other people based on do they have all their right theological I's and T's crossed and dotted. And I want to be careful here. I'm not questioning the importance of theology. Theology is really important because we have a God who chose to reveal himself to us. God wants us to know who he is. In fact, there's a practical reason this is important. When we don't really get who God is and what he delights in, we can hurt others and we can hurt ourselves. Theology is a good thing. But what is coming into question is when we start becoming prideful, when it starts becoming about our knowledge as a source of making us feel superior to other people, that's when theology is no longer being useful. When our systems are taking us away from who God is, then it's no longer beautiful. The Pharisees knew the entirety of the Torah better than I would probably suspect most people in this audience, including myself. And yet, God was staring right at them, and they missed it. And the disciples, in their pride, caring too much about themselves, missed all the beautiful things Jesus was doing right in front of them. Pride comes before the fall. And this passage is more than just about children. Because we all like to think as some people as inferior to us. Maybe it's based on wealth. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's race. We like to think of ourselves as somehow better than others. And when we do that, we are missing the mercy that God has given us. It doesn't matter if you're a Hilton Head person or a Bluffton person. God can use you equally. 
And speaking of locations, if God can make a guy from Dirty Myrtle into a pastor of this church, God clearly can use anything. The things that we think are superficially make us better mean nothing to God. Have you ever had this experience? Again, I work with children, and sometimes children come up to me, and they're like, Andrew, I want to go paintballing with you, and I want to go on this retreat. I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry, but you're six. You can't go on our youth group retreat. And these children, they get all red-faced. They get angry. They purse their lips and say, I am not six. I'm six and a quarter. (laughs) I have to look at them and just kind of smile and be like, okay, I know those three months mean a lot to you, but that doesn't qualify you to go on the teenage trip. You know what? As we laugh at that, I think that's how God views us when we stick our nose at other people. When we think of ourselves by either our words or by the way we carry ourselves as, look how great I am. I have a nice boat. Look at how big my house is. Look at all this education and look at all these good works I do. When we start using those to make ourselves look better than the rest of the world, I think Jesus laughs at us just like we laugh at that kid saying, look at my three months. As I shared with you, this message calls my own sin. I imagine I'm not the only one who struggles with pride here. And let's just be honest for a second. Being humbled is not pleasant. It hurts. C.S. Lewis says anytime we grow in the Lord, it starts with a little bit of pain. I was talking to Mary Jane, and she was telling me how she got a shot recently for an injury, and it hurt. But then as the medicine came in, it started giving her comfort. And I hope you guys see that about humility. It's going to hurt at first. Jesus is going to tell you that you're not as important as you think you are in the grand scheme of things. But when you really dwell on that truth, I hope it gives you all comfort. Because all of a sudden, the pressure and weight of being perfect is taken off our shoulders. We realize that coming to the kingdom like a child means we also have a heavenly father walking alongside us helping carry us as we fumble to do his work. I know I'm not the only one who sees someone who's grieving and hurting, and you're like, I don't know what to say. But as Christians, we can go into there and trust that God is going to use our actions to somehow bless and love this person. Or maybe you're in a Bible study, and you're like, wow, these guys are way smarter than me. There's no way I can contribute anything here. Trust that God is going to use whatever he put on your heart to help stir the conversation in a better direction. And maybe you're like, look, I know my past. I am unqualified to be in ministry. Well, you're in good company, because so did Moses, so did Gideon, the biblical character, and so did Jeremiah. We realize that when we come to God like children, that he equips the called. Deep down, we really, none of us are more qualified than another. I remember my friend, this story, you probably hear me say it again and again, because I just, it was really profound for me. My friend from college was telling me how great it was she got her first B ever. 
And I was like, why is that a good thing? And she said, all these years I felt the pressure of keeping those straight A's, and finally, I don't have to do that anymore. And this is important, because she always had better grades than me that point forward. It wasn't that her not having to strive for A's stopped her from working hard, but now she's able to do it because she enjoyed the work God has given her, and she got to take the weight and the burden from it off her. I hope you guys can enjoy what God puts in front of you without that weight of perfectionism. So that's why it's important to know that Jesus came to redeem those that depend on him, not the innocent. I warned you how we sometimes interpret scripture with our own experience. And there's some of you who are like, children are innocent. So God clearly saved the innocent in this world. And for those of you who felt that way, here's what I do know for a fact. You have not helped serve in children and youth ministry. And may I plug in, there are many opportunities for you to be a part of it. For those of you who are still questioning it, a very good theologian named Nate Morgan Locke, he puts it this way. If you don't think children sin like adults do, have a bunch of kids where one toy is more special than the rest of them. And you'll watch those innocent children elbow and cry and shove to get that toy first. Children aren't valuable because they're innocent, but they are valuable. They're valuable because they're vulnerable. They're valuable because they depend on us. A child does not know how to live on their own. Little children depend on adults for food, for shelter. They can't even use the restroom on their own. They utterly depend on someone else to take care of them. And yes, as they grow older, they become more independent, but they still look for adults for guidance, for strength, for encouragement. And listen, I get this is a broken world, and some of you are like, I didn't actually get that. And fortunately, God must have somehow brought someone else to care for you in some way. Yes, we live in a broken world, but the way God designed it, designed this world, is for us adults to see vulnerable children and say, we're going to help take care of their needs. And when we do this, we imitate that same need that we have on God. We need to remember what the disciples had forgotten. They had forgotten where they started. They were Israelites living in Roman authority. They had just been conquered. And again, they were lowly fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. The book of Acts says that they were mostly uneducated. They had nothing worldly to offer, and Jesus says, I'm going to call you as my precious disciples. Their significance only came by the grace of God. And this flies in the face of our culture. We are taught to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are taught that self-sufficiency is one of the supreme values one could have. And this, again, goes against what Christianity is about. We are taught as Christians that God directs every one of our steps. We're taught that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength 
to do the work he has given us. And we're taught as Christians that we are placed in a community for support and to support. Remember, Jesus uses the image of we're the body of Christ, right? We are not a body in ourselves. God has gifted you in special ways to care for others, and he's gifted others to care for you. When you try to do it on your own, you are thwarting God's design for community. And this should convict us in two ways, because I'll be honest, I'm on the other extreme. I'm the guy who would love to play video games and Doritos all day and ignore the people who need me. I need God to be like, Andrew, I've gifted you. Go care for the people like I've cared for you. But if you're the person who prides themselves on their own strength to care for themselves, may I remind you that you do, in fact, need God. And that this God designed you to be blessed by the people he's placed you in community with. Don't let your pride be a stumbling block on how God came to bless you. The most important way we have childlike dependence on God is when it comes to salvation. Now look, we could argue the complex nuance of what does it mean to depend on God for salvation, but here's what every Christian agrees on. We cannot boast in our salvation. We know that we cannot live the perfect life Jesus requires from us. We need his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. We went on a retreat where we went through the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes opens with, blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the people who know that they cannot save themselves. The way I told them to think of it in their head is imagine your salvation is like you're in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden your gas goes to empty, you break down, and now your cell phone dies too. All you can do is wait for somebody to save you. This is the gospel. That in our rebellion against God, we created a gap between him that's so big we could not bridge it on our own. We are dependent on Jesus. And in that desperation, Christ died for us. The cure for pride is not by becoming more humble or by being a better person. The cure for pride is to constantly remind yourself this one question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? When I think of the suffering Jesus endured, I'm reminded the depths of my sin, how much it cost Jesus. I can see the just punishment I deserve for rebelling against a good creator king of the universe. But also, as I see my own brokenness, I see the loving mercy of Jesus that he would humble himself to take my place and take that punishment on my behalf. When I look at the cross, I rest in these two images of who I am. I am the precious royal child of God whom Jesus died for. But I'm also a human, no better and no worthy than anybody else. And as Christians, we need to keep these two images of who we are together. And this is crucial for Christian community. Because as we grow closer to each other, we're going to see each other's flaws a little bit more personally. 
and we need to remind ourselves the grace that Jesus extended to us. And then we need to extend that grace when we see the flaws in others. So I'm going to quickly tie all this together. Jesus tells disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. When we love those that are needy, those that are vulnerable in our society, we are having a fruit of who God is. We are reflecting God when he cared for us and our neediness and desperation for him. This sense of humility develops within us a reality that our time, energy, and possessions are not meant to be held to ourselves. And the more we see others and their brokenness, we see a glimpse of ourselves and our neediness for Jesus. We might think to ourselves that we have to love both the wealthy and the poor in this community because we realize they both have a need for Jesus, that same need that we have. Any form of partiality is destroyed by the weight of our sin against God and the overwhelming grace God gives us in return. And as we grow as followers of Jesus, I'm confident that we will continue to grow in that humility that sees everyone in our path as someone of value and importance. So let me end on a few quick questions. One, I hope you ask yourself today, what puffs up my pride? Two, should ask yourself, do I try to live my life in isolation, or do I humbly live in the community God has placed me, knowing that I need things from others, and they might depend on me for things as well? Who are the people that society is conditioning me to think that I'm better than, and do I go out of my way to make sure they know they are as valuable to God as I am? And again, I think the most important question in all of this, the one that will bring us to humility, why did Jesus die on the cross? Let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, as I think of this precious child right now, we are reminded that that is who the kingdom of God is for. And so I ask you, Lord, to help us all imitate this young boy, that in the same way, he depends on his parents. We depend on you completely and utterly. Let us love the people God has cared for us, and let us see your beauty in the world around us. Help us in this time of worship to focus on you and your heart. In your name we pray.